Welcome to Podcast on Fire on Bodyguards and Assassins. Donnie Yen, Nick Tse and Leon Lai are men on a mission to change Chinese history in 2009's Bodyguards and Assassins from director Teddy Chen. And as a bit of a primer to quote the Love HK Films review um, at the time, and this is by no means making light of uh, what I'm about to say and uh, the story you're about uh, to hear throughout the podcast. So quote, of the 10 years of tumultuous production history that included rainstorms, labor disputes, suicide, and two spells of depression, Teddy Chan's Bodyguards and Assassins has finally arrived. End quote. Yes, because that is a review from the time. It went through development hell indeed. So, my name is going to be with me uh, nearly at the end of the Leon Lai series is Phil G of Eastern Film Fans and uh, the man from some of your favorite audio commentaries of all time. Indeed, uh, with my uh, compadre Kenny B. Yes, we do. We do uh, tinkle on the ivories of your earlobes through commentary tracks, and um, that you're all familiar with and love, no doubt. On the run, oh my god, Monkey Kung Fu. But you know, not that I'm going to promote anything at all. Human lanterns. But um, yeah, I would go out there and listen to it if I was me. Okay, we haven't let this uh, get to us clearly, right? No, uh, no we're, we're very humble still. <laughs> Commentary fame. Selective commentary fame because uh, that's the production rate we we bring to the table. Anyway, this isn't a commentary, this is a podcast and this is the Leon Lai Actors Series where we across nine film reviews and this is the eighth. Determine whether he's any good or not uh, by giving him uh, the verdict of lie or buy, uh, good or bad. And if you want to catch up on the films we've done so far and our varied views, we haven't always, always seen eye to eye, check out the episodes on Fruit Punch, Wicked City. Fun and Fury and With or Without You in the same episode. Comrades Almost a Love Story and Moonlight in Tokyo also in the same episode. And last time around 18 Springs. And now it's a little bit into um, action territory. Certainly not a lead role but certainly part of the ensemble. And we'll talk uh, all about it. Uh, But first of all uh, some brief contact information before we get into the thing. Uh, This is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network. we have a backlog of shows uh, called Podcast on Fire, obviously, in the archive, but you can also listen to Japan on Fire this week in Sleaze, uh, the, uh, the Golden Ninja podcast even, which was a limited series. But uh, all, all of that is on podcastonfire.com, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever, wherever you find podcasts. And social media interaction over on Facebook, uh, we have a discussion group. That's uh, our main hub, if you will. That's called Podcast on Fire Network. We're on X, formerly Twitter, Podcast on Fire, and uh, all of that. Good stuff. And I'm on there as so good reviews on X, formerly Twitter. So all good. Uh, Before I throw over to Phil, uh, we are officially, can officially say that uh, we are associated with the Blu-ray boutique label Error 4444. And the uh, first release uh, of theirs that uh, feature, uh, feature us is uh, Fatal Termination. Uh, the Moon Lee, Simon Yam, Ray Loy, cruel actioner uh, and uh, with the little girl dangling outside of a speeding car. That scene, that movie that you can now buy and watch. And I say buy and watch. The limited editions are sold out, but I'm 99% certain we'll get a standard edition in the near future so arrow 4444 over on big cartel follow the link in the 
show post to check out their website and they have some other hong kong offerings from the past and certainly some are coming up in their little coming soon section both hong kong and taiwan as a matter of fact so fun for all so check it out and thank you to everyone who made sure it sold out and if you have taken a chance on the commentary by me and phil thank you very very much and i'm personally looking forward to also watching the video extras that you and i didn't know existed at the time and therefore haven't seen the interview with uh, Ridley Choi, for instance, the action director on the film, and uh, cast member Mike Abbott. So, looking forward uh, to it. Phil, let's uh, plug Eastern Film Fans and um, say, say what you like, say what you say. Say what you like, say what you say. Uh, yeah, uh, by the way, I love doing Fatal Termination, so uh, thank you to uh, Ever4444, because it was fantastic to do that. You never know, we might do others. Ha ha ha! But, uh, Eastern Film Fans, yeah, I'm uh, around on Facebook, uh, X, formerly Twitter, uh, Instagram and Threads. And, um, yeah, just uh, casually doing what I do, you know, interview the stars of stage and screen um, when I get a chance and stuff. And sometimes outside of uh, um, the Eastern realm, so Jeremy Charles recently and stuff, which was great, such a decent, nice bloke, British director, did his first feature film and did Doctor Who and stuff. If you're into that stuff, go and check it out on my YouTube channel. Yes, I've got one of those as well. And you can listen to What's in the Box, where we literally ask, what's in the box? And then we show you what's in the box. Uh, and a handy hint, it's usually an Eastern film. So there you go. Um, check those out. So, uh, yeah, that, that's us at Eastern Film Fans. Excellent. We'll link to all of that, and uh, it's uh, it's nice to be busy on several fronts. Uh, fronts. That's uh, how you and I always um, have operated on a personal level, and that's why the commentaries are selective. But uh, our sort of mission statement is that uh, we, or, or rather, our sort of determination is that uh, we like being selective. It's fun to jump from topic to topic, and uh, that's uh, what uh, we're capable. That's what we want to do, and that's what we're also mentally and physically capable of doing. Right, a couple of year, maybe two a year, or something like that. that, that <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a mighty production rate for, for us, based on everything. I have great respect for those that, that, that do them and can do them that. But, you know, like I say, I think we, we do it our way. Research, research, research. We put the time, the effort in, and we bring love and cookies. And not that the other guys don't research, but uh, I, I simply am not capable of being as great of a machine as uh, some of the big boys in the commentary game and nor do i want to because i don't <laughs> want i don't want to come come on here like hey phil sup yeah number one of these yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's so that's simon yeah i'm right yeah let's talk about him again yeah he did a nude coffee table book yep did that talked about that um, anyway, let's take a music break, listen to a little bit of the score from Bodyguards and Assassins from 2009. First time watch for me, certainly Phil has watched it maybe once or twice throughout the years, because uh, he's an action man, he keeps track of these things, he did so in 2009 as well, I'm willing to bet. So let's talk about it after the break, and uh, we'll see you. Yeah. 
and welcome back. And uh, this episode will cover bodyguards and assassins and uh, quite a few background notes on it as well. But plot first of all from the Love HK film review of the film in 1906. Uh, uh, in 1906 Hong Kong, Democratic activist uh, Chen Chaobai, played by Tony Lung Kafai, gets word that friend and revolutionary figure Sun Yat-sen will be visiting Hong Kong to meet with other activist leaders about overthrowing the Qing government. Chen's propaganda newspaper is funded by politically indifferent businessman Li Yu-tang, played by Wang Chui-chi. The closest thing to a lead actor in the film. It's an ensemble piece. Uh, and he is adamantly against his son, Chung Guang, played by Edison Wang, joining Chen's revolutionary movement. With news of Sun Yat-sen's impending trip reaching China, the Qing court sends out its best assassin, Chao Guo, played by Hu Jun, to make sure the revolution leader sleeps with the fishes before he reaches the meeting. Chao Guo and his gang first wipe out a group of veteran soldiers led by Fang Chan, played by Simon Yam, speaking of him, uh, who were charged with protecting Sun, and then they kidnap Chen, Tony Leung's character, the Qing government agents. When uh, indifferent uh, businessman Li Yutang decides to drop his indifference and, and uh, keep his uh, missing friend's hope alive by taking up the mission of protecting Sun Yat-sen, he realizes he would need a strong group of bodyguards to make sure Sun gets out of Hong Kong alive. And that group includes Simon Yam's character, uh, his uh, daughter, Hong, played by pop star Li Yu-chun, family rickshaw driver Asi, played by Nick Tse, street vendor slash ex-Shaolin monk Stinky Tofu, played by MBA player Menki Batir, a disgraced ar- aristocrat turned beggar Prince Lao, played by Leon Lai, woo, and policeman slash gambling addict Chung Yang, played by Donnie Yen, who was once a spy for the Chinese assassins. With the assassins surrounding Central ready to attack and the British-run police force refusing to interfere, will the group of ragtag misfits help Sun Yat-sen get out of the city alive? Question marks. Which one of them will survive the deadly attacks of the Qing court? So let's focus a little bit first of all on its performance. It's a tough story that had a good financial ending i suppose uh, so we'll jump a little bit back and forth in the timeline but first of all talking of the uh, reception when it was finally unleashed to audiences about gods and assassins uh, uh, playing in different markets across asia but uh, obviously but uh, we're going to focus uh, here on china and hong kong so on a budget of 23 million us it opened strong in china on december 18th 2009 taking in about 208 rmb which at the time equaled about 30 million US again it was on a budget of 23 million it ended up taking in 300 RMB which was considered very good at the time so it didn't start like strong at 208 and then tripled its earnings in China uh, so um, that was uh, that was that but in Hong Kong the interest wasn't in total as strong for bodyguards and assassins where it was the number three film of the year with a little over six 16.6 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office it was considered a somewhat respectable number in Hong Kong at the time though uh, because uh, it went up against uh, a little film called Avatar. It's that long ago. It's <laughs> Avatar 1. Uh, mm. As Kevin Ma said, who also helped out with uh, this analysis, uh, everyone was just happy Bodyguards and Assassins eventually got made and did did some business because it had a troublesome road getting to the screen and more on that in a bit. It was the number three film in Hong Kong uh, that year. It trailed John Woo's Red Cliff 
2 and the presumably Chinese New Year comedy All's Well Ends Well 2009 uh, that topped the box office that year with uh, 24.6 million Hong Kong dollars. Uh, Bodyguards and Assassins was a bit of a darling at the Hong Kong Film Awards though, winning Best Film and Best Director for Teddy Chan as well as Best Supporting Actor for Nick Tse. Best Cinematographer, Arthur Wong, and further technical awards included Best Art Direction, Costume Design, Makeup Design, Best Action Design by Stephen Tong Wai and Lee Tachu, and I believe Donnie Yen is credited as well. Best Original Film scored one as well and had a slew of nominations. But as we said, it wasn't easy getting Bodyguards and Assassins to the screen, as detailed in the documentary Development Hell. That sets the story, all right. Uh, can I just uh, briefly ask you do, do you remember that far back where there was a strong anticipation for this? Uh, Donnie and all the guys, or yeah, I, th- th- there always was because you know we're readily available now, but just getting anything then was like you, you know, you, you get it from Hong Kong, you, you buy it in and stuff, but there was an anticipation. Any Donnie Yen film around that time, there was a anticipation for and stuff. Because you got to also think that he had uh, such a strong action showing in the yes. new millennium. SPL, Dragon Tiger Gate, Flashpoint, the first Ip Man movie was out. Yeah, it's it's yeah exactly. Everybody wanted a piece of Donnie Yen. They wanted to see him on screen. So just for that fact, and he's part of an ensemble cast here and stuff, but it didn't matter to everybody. It was like Donnie Yen's film because he was in it. And you, you know he was going to you know be fine in it. So therefore, everybody wanted to see it for Donnie, regardless of everybody else in it. Everybody's watching it for that. I was exactly the same back, you know, in the day I wanted to watch it for Donnie. I was watching it for for him to see, you know, what he was going to bring, you know, who he was going to fight, the action, couldn't wait. So, yeah, I think the anticipation was definitely there for the for the film at the time. I can imagine with so many uh, exported and mm. popular action films kind of in a row at that point, you know. Yeah, so um, and that sort of streak, actor-director streak he had with and continued with um, himself, uh, Donnie Darius, and uh, director Wilson Yip. Uh, but uh, this director, Teddy Chen. Uh, so uh, we we watched the film, the documentary film, Development Hell. So this is a little summarization of um, what it took to get Bodyguards and Assassins to the screen. So. It sort of opens as uh, Teddy Chen scored a hit with the family drama Wait Till You're Older in 2005, starring Andy Lau. It's the film where Andy Lau grows um, uh, grows rapidly older uh, throughout the film, uh, co-starring Karen Mock, I believe. Uh, but the development of Bodyguards and Assassins, then known as Dark October, had kicked off already at that point in 2005. Remember, the actual film was released 2009. But, but in 2005, they, were, they weren't near completion or anything. Um, they, it was still, I believe, uh, conceptual work and design work. Uh, and it was actually, uh, two years earlier, put on a costly halt in, uh, in 2003. And its status in general was in question. So, you know, whether, whether it was moving ahead or not uh, after a pre-production phase of three years. Uh, so it, it, it goes back, you know, from 09 to 05, and now we're almost at the start of the millennium. So I wanted to give you a picture of Bodyguards and Assassins was being worked on um, with every part of their body. They involved uh, in, in the involved uh, parties. Uh, so they, they were, you know, when it started off, uh, it was already kind of plagued with that start-stop tint to the project. Uh, it was uh, It was choppy. Uh, the script uh, treatment, for instance, went through multiple rewrites, four or five, and the script had nine drafts as well by the uh, by the writer Tin Nam Chun. 
but but they they were plowing ahead. Casting was even being finalized in uh, certain areas. But if we go back even further, because um, the producer of this film, Peter Chan, his father is a filmmaker, Chan Tungman, and he had actually made a film in in the seventies, uh, known as Dark uh, October, but ultimately released as The Bodyguard in nineteen seventy four, which was also halted midway through the production because one of its investors went into hiding. Uh, but it had its overseas rights already pre-sold. But then a new investor came in, connected to a British distributor. So the bodyguard got its distribution with the aim of playing across America. But the distributor didn't give it to the Chinatown circuit at the time, despite parties having paid to have it played in those uh, circuits. So the ambition was um, greater overall. They wanted to play it in more theaters and territories rather than just the regular small circuits but still they weren't living up to the agreement so but but it never got a, ha- a sort of hooking in hong kong the bodyguard so it never became a really known classic uh, that uh, bodyguards and assassins definitely tailored its story uh, after the thing is some more people than you think might have actually seen it or parts of it because the bodyguard by peter chan's father chan tung man was used as a source film for the cut and paste production Fist of Legend 2, Ion Bodyguard, released in 1996. They did a little IFD Godfrey Ho style work on that. And I, I, I can better back that you don't remember, but I can, uh, and I can also better back that you've seen that film at, at some point. You know, they picked up a cheap DVD or VHS or whatever. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, they they probably put a Western lead in there and then uh, structured it around the the uh, the early uh, early 1900s style drama and action footage that they had and made Fist of Legend two. So there you are. Uh, Peter's father was actually uh, interviewed in the documentary we're, we're referencing here, and he talks of um, their ambitions at the time with the bodyguard of making a film about Sun Yat-sen, but shifting focus to a bodyguards who protected him and uh, getting action to be a driving aspect of the film as well. And uh, they mixed and matched uh, reality and fiction uh, with the assassination of Yang Shu-yun, the first chairman of the revived China society, with the plot of uh, Sun Yat-sen uh, planned to be assassinated by agents of the Qing court, uh, and that was their fictional aspect. So, um, and, and that's how Bodyguards and Assassins open, with, uh, with, with sort of the same train of thought. Uh, it's going to be some stuff are made up for drama and some things are out of uh, reality. This was also done this story structure this content structure back in the bodyguard days to avoid political issues too by having Sun Yat-sen be a background element so Peter Chan as the son of a director he had been exposed to the film in some shape or form he knew his father had made this film and he had ideas of remaking the film himself around 1993 but he was following a commercial path of making dramas and romance comedies uh, like uh, he's a woman she's a man comrades almost love story so peter chan uh, never really pursued uh, doing it himself uh, he ultimately produced this film so the idea of remaking the bodyguard was in limbo until 2001 when applause pictures was founded by peter chan and teddy chan and that company wanted and did produce pan-asian co-productions like the eye uh, the anthology film Free that Leon Lai is in, as well as making Hong Kong films for local audiences. So, you know, essentially they wanted to make ripples at home and overseas with these uh, kind of high class productions. Um, you know, uh, VI is certainly no slouches film, and nor is, uh, nor is Free with its combination of uh, Thai 
Korean and Hong Kong filmmakers uh, making each uh, each part. At one point, Terry Chen envisioned bodyguards and assassins as a film that need to look and feel real, um, and uh, you know, might, it might not even have uh, like superstars or expensive expensive special effects. Uh, that was the theory. So his goal was to sort of find authentic locations to enhance the real feel uh, rather than just cast stars and uh, go for uh, the most expensive special effects and uh, sort of trust that that's going to be real. That's not necessarily the key to a good movie. So he was looking for authentic locations and he knew uh, Tianjin in China might be a suitable backdrop for this goal. Presumably he's uh, talking about the main street of Hong Kong Central, which is uh, such a key part of the film. And in uh, Tianjin, he would find settings and buildings that would only need sparse tweaking physically and perhaps through uh, optical special effects as well. Hong Kong wasn't suitable. That's the determ- that was the ter- determination to recreate old Hong Kong. So China, uh, you know, was uh, the option for this uh, reason as well overall. And he's here in on uh, Tianjin. Uh, Designex expressed uh, pre-production at this stage uh, was painful. Uh, the accommodations and weather was terrible on the sound stage when they were, where they were crafting uh, buildings and facades. And of course. Uh, Teddy ultimately knew he had to cast faces that were recognizable for his big ensemble where the main core is 15 major parts. So getting schedules to align, getting committed actors willing to shave their heads, etc. represented that challenge as the ensemble was being gathered at that point in time. Stephen Tung Wai, the action director, is even seen training actress Angelica Lee at one stage. Um, she starred in The Eye. But she's not in the film, so obviously this is long ago, and that didn't uh, work out because of schedules, uh, presumably, and this on and off nature to the production. But casting was underway; actors were was even locked down. But then SARS broke, broke out, and took hold of Hong Kong and uh, Guangzhou. So there was hesitance to even go there and into production. It's a justified fear, of course, of a contagious disease. You know, being in close uh, quarters and on a physically demanding film set uh, would have anyone um, question whether they should go ahead and want to go ahead. Uh, but, but Teddy, of course, wasn't a tyrant. Even with signed actors' contracts and uh, and crew, perhaps, he wasn't about to force anyone to go to work. Uh, in his mind, though, he knew uh, that this would meant pushing the shoot uh, and it would mean uncertainty for the production again. But, you know, who, who knew? that this uh, obstacle in real life would occur and obviously years later we had COVID as well and film productions had to think long and hard whether they should and could go into production again so uh, Sauce um, you know broke out that um, way of thinking for film productions as well in uh, in Hong Kong. He did kindly ask his production designer Kenneth Mack if he could come to China to help design and build the set and keep the train going to a degree uh, and if not of course we can delay and of course uh, Teddy wasn't playing these psychological tactics on his uh, designer he simply didn't want bodyguards and assassins as a film to disappear so he devised some way to keep things going and Teddy reflects he'd been so unlucky making his films uh, he lost a crew member in an accident on the action film downtown torpedoes uh, that crew member was struck by debris caused by an explosion uh, that was done for the film. And Teddy was even in talks to remake his own film, Purple Storm. We haven't really referenced that. He, he's the director of Purple Storm. Um, and go and way back in the day, In the Heat of Summer, a very good uh, a very good cop film. And if I'm not mistaken, Phil, he uh, either directed or co-directed uh, Who Am I? 
for for Jackie Chan, or maybe accidental spy. I shouldn't do that to myself, but uh, <laughs> yeah, one or the other. So it was accidental spy. So we did a little check just to make sure we're correct. Uh, so uh, anyway, Purple Storm <laughs> had uh, made uh, ripples uh, critically and uh, commercially, uh, starring Daniel Wu. And uh, there were there were talks of um, remaking the film in America. It's about uh, terrorists. That film and the deal was nearly set in August two thousand and one. Uh, that meeting uh, that was going to happen in August uh, was postponed. And on September eleventh, the World Trade Center was attacked, and the remake talks never did surface again. We're not going to talk about a terrorist film after a terrorist attack. It's real life. It's one of those things. Of course, you shouldn't go uh, go ahead and like push uh, commercialism out there. Uh, not that quick anyway, but uh, talks never surfaced again, simply. Uh, so Teddy uh, went through on and into uh, uh, Dark October uh, during this time uh, in order to uh, in order to get it going in some shape or form, uh, living through SARS and so forth. And uh, in order to raise funds, because funds had already been um, uh, not wasted, but used, there was a suggestion that possibly re- relocating the story to Los Angeles, where an alleged incident involving Sun Yat-sen happened, might be beneficial for funding, but also to get eyes on the movie in the marketplace, ultimately. Terry declined that, uh, Teddy declined that idea and persisted on the Chinese shooting locations for the Hong Kong set story. So pre-production resumed at one point uh, for about four months uh, sets were finished and the shooting start was scheduled but then the film's main investor and teddy's business partner sadly committed suicide and the production was again called off um, they call him ronald in the documentary i, I didn't catch a um, last name but uh, they speak of him being a film business outsider he was a banker but he loved films and uh, had more books about filmmaking and dvds than teddy himself so uh, he even wanted to make a film about the first emperor of China, which one of the writers uh, of Dark October, uh, Dark October uh, helped him with, but uh, that never went ahead. Uh, uh, designer Kenneth Mack uh, said that uh, this uh, death took an emotional uh, toll on him, and obviously this work, this prolonged work, took a toll on him because um, he was on this film for years, uh, building the city. He had a baby daughter that grew as the city grew. That he was building and he invested a lot of himself into production into the story he loved uh, going back to ronald where when he was alive ronald and teddy were also focusing on which markets uh, to play to because in the early 2000s the box office market was a little bit different than you um and the focus on, on which market you sort of should focus on was a little bit different but they were discussing that uh, because they were noticing a box office in decline uh, they looked at how hong kong films did uh, in the Taiwanese film market at the time and thought maybe there's a revival there. There's a stronger sort of hold there for um, audience attendance. But uh, the film, of course, needed mainland approval as well since its focus was on historical figures like Dr. Sun Yat-sen. So they had to do script revisions to avoid conflicts between facts and fiction because uh, there were mainland, uh, you know, it was a joint production after all with the mainland. It wasn't just Hong Kong and Taiwan or anything. That was going on, but the production was shutting down at one point, too, or several points. So, so Teddy shifted focus and took on uh, Wait Till You're Older. But just as he was about to go into production on that, his mother sadly passed away. Uh, so with so many personal professional setbacks, uh, Teddy uh, wondered, maybe Sun Yat-sen has cursed this film. If Maybe all of this is a sign that uh, Teddy is not capable to depict him. 
to take on such a huge project but he wasn't ready to give it up uh, he just didn't know what kind of film he would end up being if he ever got a chance to actually make it uh, because if you stick with such a story for such a long time phil and revise and so forth maybe maybe it becomes hard to sort of set the story finalize the story if it takes about 10 years out of your life maybe it's something you wrote in 2002 doesn't feel right in 2007 it's the, the sort of blessing and curse of being with a project i guess um, it's testament isn't it all this you know with just to get even even to them and he's still going he's still trying to get it made he's still trying to do it the, the reiteration of the script and everything else to try and get it on screen it's it's a remarkable insight into to the movie it's stamina all right uh, but uh, as the years went by the, you know the first decade of the new millennium saw mainland china so cinema circuit expand rapidly so we're talking about a few years after they were talking about maybe we should focus on taiwan but now mainland china seemed to be the market to go for it became the home of many blockbuster films and it perhaps uh, was the rapid growth that bodyguards and assassins needed it found its market and it went before cameras eventually a production company co-founded by peter chan cinema popular was established to revive dark october it was using its own new English title uh, by now, Bodyguards and Assassins, and it went ahead before cameras in Shanghai, ultimately. Teddy had spent a decade at that point trying to make the film, presumably around 2008. Uh, they were starting to yell action and cut. And he reflected, uh, saying that uh, it's the film that I wanted to make, ultimately. It felt like the one that should come out of me. And in the end, with such a huge... And high-profile cost, the budget that did skyrocket, of course, it was not a cheap film by this point, but it was also a film that was not possible to make 10 years earlier. You know, technological advances, but also the growth of the mainland market really played a key part in getting it made. And after so many setbacks, uh, you know, we have a success story, I suppose. And, and yes, it is a success story, but there still was uh, more setbacks to talk of. Uh, and apparently Teddy Chen suffered a mental breakdown during the filming. And it wasn't in the can yet at that point. So producer Peter Chan enlisted an uncredited Andrew Lau to help finish the film. And he does receive a special thanks in the credits, as does uh, Donnie Yen. So maybe he uh, enlisted for for the sake of the film. But uh, uh, also at the end, uh, to tie the knot on all this, when the Hong Kong Film Awards were handed out and Teddy Chan won Best Director, the award was given to him by Andrew Lau. So I guess you saw you sort of close that uh, close that loop, uh, if you will. It's a fascinating watch. It's not an easy film um, development hell. The documentary we've been uh, basing our background notes on. It's not an easy film to uh, to watch because it's not on every edition, which is a shame. It's on mostly on the limited editions of the film. But uh, regardless, uh, that's the summary of it all. It's sort of breathtaking, uh, and uh, it's hard to dislike a film that was trying so hard you know what i mean <laughs> like you, you you can't like be a, a nasty critic really i don't have the heart to be but uh obviously i have an honest opinion though yeah yeah of course you do and you and you do but after you, i think because what i did was this time i watched that before i watched the film again and it, and it gives the film therefore some gravitas when you watch it in a different looking at it in a different light and if you do happen to have it on a third disc and you've not watched it um please dig it out and watch it in development hell because actually then you appreciate the film even eh, even more or more than you did before or you do appreciate the film for for everything that you know 
has been through to, to put it onto screen. It's, it's a fantastic insight, and in there's a lot of films, not a lot, but yeah, the, there's a lot of films that get into trouble, but, you know, a lot to have that much happen to, you know, director and to get it made is, is astonishing it got made at all and testament to, you know, the sheer determination to get it done. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's certainly something um, people should dig out if they can to watch that. Yeah, it's a shame they didn't make it a, f- a focal point of uh, supplements uh, because it really should be the supplement, not just... Um promo stuff you know but i mean uh, if anybody was going to pick it up and i don't know who's got the rights to it and stuff and develop hell and stuff but it'd be a fantastic fantastic showcase for a, a shiny shiny disc for sure i mean there are movies of course that are shit shows that <laughs> yeah. uh, that that some sometimes after a few years have passed people start to uh, talk about and it gets um documented but this was um just a big old emotional roller coaster and he still had the director document this throughout the years. That is obviously in the film and uh, and a lot of these people we've mentioned. So uh, as we said off air, I at one point I, I would say to myself, I I don't want the camera shining a light to this. This is uh, on this. It's too it's too hard. But um, ultimately, uh, the film uh, concludes with uh, with the success of it all uh, that it got released. Uh, I don't think it covers the Hong Kong Film Awards. Uh, so they they wrapped on the docu- uh, documentary after the premiere essentially, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, I might be remembering that wrong. Let's um, let's get into some brief opinions then, and uh, let me hand over to you for a brief opinion of this uh, rewatch of Bodyguards and Assassins. I loved it again, watching it again. I think I can I can vaguely recall watching it, and probably you know what I probably haven't watched it since I first watched it, and I understand the reason watching it now, and this is just my. Um, overall opinion because they they used the CGI and I didn't like it. I, I like the scripts, but and, and it just took something away from it at the time. This time watching it and remembering that actually I forgave that for what you know because I I'd seen the documentary beforehand and I really enjoyed it this time just for the storytelling and everything. So as a film itself and as a sample piece, it's it's an enjoyable an enjoyable romp to get to what we all know is, is is the action towards the end and stuff, which is the setup's fantastic. I love that the whole setup of it. it. It just makes complete sense. It takes a little bit of a while to get there, but when it does, it's it's certainly uh, it's certainly worth it. And it's funny. I I watched this uh, twice in prep because uh, if I watched and made notes on the development hell doc, I needed the film as context for that. So I watched the film first, and then because um, I didn't want anything spoiled, you know, by the doc, like, oh no, I, I didn't want to know that beforehand about that fate. Uh, but the, the funny thing is, I wasn't terribly enthralled with the film the first time. It felt like more surface level commercial spectacle, but. I appreciated the second viewing a lot more, probably because of uh, what Teddy Chen went through. Uh, but it, it has solid dramatic setup for one hour and then a steady flow of violence and action for the second hour. Because it becomes this man on a mission running through the gauntlet that is Hong Kong Central District for like an hour straight. Teddy does overload the film a little bit dramatically. And the, the sort of tricks to achieve depth, which I'll elaborate on later, go on repeat as one by one the characters fall. Uh, but it's a solid, exceptionally well-made trek through history spiced up with some rather upsetting violence. Uh, and it has mostly a nice balance between violence and martial arts in the action design, uh, which I'll talk of. And the standout performance, uh, I think, comes from the veteran here, uh, Wang Chui Chi, playing Liu Tang. 
uh, one who bankroll bankrolls the China Daily and wants to stay out of stay out of this business. But uh, Wang Chui Chi is really in this movie to win it. I think. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask listeners, certainly you as well. So because uh, this applies to you. So this is how we get so- social media engagement. So Donnie and fans, <laughs> hello. Do you rank? <laughs> do you rank this film highly? Because remember, it's part dramatic, part action, and Donnie is part of an ensemble. Like, does the movie stick with you after all this time as a Donnie Yen film, as a Donnie Yen action film? So I'm 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 placing that question for uh, up for discussion. And uh, why don't you uh, give your spontaneous thoughts on that film if um, if it's a Donnie film, this or is it uh, is it part of the ensemble more? So you look at it as a whole rather than a Donnie film. Very much look at it as probably a whole i think we went into it as a as a as a donny film you gotta remember it's kind of squished in between kind of it man we had kind of sbl we had flashpoint it was hitting the pinnacle of everything at that time stuff so i think people watched it and, and appreciated it and stuff but i think it got lost within squished between others because of the ensemble piece it was and it wasn't you know people got it and went oh you know it's a donny infant well where is he but I think they enjoyed from an action point of view. Obviously, he, he definitely brings it. And I think there's more of an appreciation and people will, well, certainly from my point of view, appreciate more when you revisit it rather than probably when you did at the time. Um, it was one of those, that's, yeah, it was great. And then you moved on to the next one because they were just thick and fast at that period of time. Those are my initial thoughts. But, you know, I'm sure people have uh, thoughts around it as well. At the, you know, 14 Blades was out of thinking. Hitman 2 was on the coattail. So, you know, there was lots coming out at that time and stuff. And it, and it probably got lost within, you know, that the well of, of action, you know, and, and Donnie and films that was coming out at the time. Yeah, the headliners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, Legend of the Fist, I think, was close as well. There were some big, big films that, and big titles of films. And, and this wasn't, you know, for, for Donnie Yen's, no, it was enticing because bodyguards and assassins go, oh, okay, this sounds good. Um, but yeah, it was a different type of film. So yeah, I think maybe got lost a little bit. One fear I always come pre-armed with, and this is out of pure judgment and, and uh, naivete, is that because a film is historic, martial arts tinted or not, I will be completely out of the loop because I'm stupid. <laughs> Ken is stupid. <laughs> And there are films that are that way, of course, but di- but, but but this is genre. It's meant to mm-hmm. travel, and, yeah. and uh, it has action. And so when all is said and done, Bodyguards and Assassins obviously provides you, you with the context that is needed for the scenario yeah. at hand, the men on a mission film. It also, of course, uh, throughout two hours, uh, tries to add some characters, some emotional stakes for the men on a mission. And that's where I wanted to say, I will reference a few examples, but that's where I think it falters in spots emotionally. It means business, but uh, a little bit too much uh, beyond the surface. It needs to be taken seriously as a drama. So some of it registers as hollow and it doesn't work for all the characters, this emotional angle. And one character where it doesn't work is Leon Lice. And I'm just going to say it up front that he doesn't find his place in the film. He really doesn't. We, we, we should get to it, shouldn't we? Because this is an episode where we're talking about Leona and we, and we forget, and I forget. And we did. When we discussed this, I was like, was he in it? Um, and, I, and I was like, oh, yeah, there he is. And he's disguised well. But 
you know, there's not enough character. There's not enough there to invest, and that's the trouble when you have an ensemble cast. How much time are you going to invest? And without giving anything away and stuff, not all these characters are going to survive. In fact, very few of them will do. Um, and you want that emotional attachment because then you're going to, you know, that's going to drive you on. And unfortunately, yeah, Leon Lyon doesn't really get to, to give enough. Yeah, maybe there's not enough there. Maybe it's on the cutting floor, but there's not. I think enough. it's too many, uh, too many moving parts, too little film for. Yeah. Um, so reduce it a couple of characters. Unfortunately, his uh, I would deselect in a heartbeat, to be honest. Uh, but uh, we'll get to some details. Uh, obviously, it's impressive from the get go, making the street sets uh, come to life, and and the assassination of uh, Professor Yang Shu Yun, played by Jackie Chung, in a very brief cameo, obviously. Is uh, is upsetting and surprising, and then Teddy goes into the text exposition that sets the stage. It's not depth on a documentary level; it's not a History Channel thing, this, but it sets the stage for the historical backdrop, and it's going to be action, tinted men on a mission type of film. And that tool, Phil, to sort sort set the stage to make sure stupid Ken understands. It's not a bad tool. It's not an insecure tool. Uh, I think I think Teddy sets the stage really well. To be yeah, honest. he does. Said it's really well. Look, there's never been an assassination before that happened and stuff. And all of a sudden, look what Steve started a trend. It sets the store like really well from the beginning, and it draws you in because now you're now you're interested to know. And just on the basis of what the the title of the film says, it does draw you into film. And like I say, it's not a documentary, but it it tells it well. It, it kicks it off. He kicks you straight into the film. You want to understand a little bit more. So he, he doesn't stand on ceremony, for sure. And, and Donnie, by the way, is kind of the first one to be introduced out of the ensemble. And whether you like it or not, he's not. He, he, he's going to get moments, but he's not going to be the central focus, as it's a movie populated by action guys, thespians, thespians and action guys. You know, people who can do both and all looking their best, Phil, in this production that clearly isn't missing a beat in terms of costume, makeup and... And, well, some hair, it misses a beat only. Uh, so it's nice to sort of be immersed, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Shout out to the uh, the costumes and everything else. It just makes it, it just completes it because you, you feel embedded within it. You feel, you feel you're there. It does. It, it takes you. It transports you to, to, to that place at that time. And, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And, and as I said, uh, we're, I'm going to connect a little bit to the sort of first stages of Leon Lai's role he is a case of, but other actors are as well, of, of an actor that uh, doesn't get enough time or or development. But some suffer even more, like Fan Bingbing is in this movie. And it's kind of hard to remember, oh, oh yeah. Because she, she doesn't get a. It's not like she's there run, running on the streets or anything, but it it's a movie that's a little bit too crowded. Um, mm. A little bit narrow focus would have helped. Um, uh, having a superstar like her in this performing admirably uh, admirably but uh, certainly the brief drama she was connected to didn't do anything for me and certainly not for leon lie either i read in a cast list that michelle uh, reyes or michelle hayes is in this and i was like where because i love michelle reyes and i was like i don't remember that and i can imagine she's in it for a minute and i'm also like yeah i don't like putting great people to work and not using them Mm, uh, but that's yeah, just a pet peeve of mine. So why is Leo not especially memorable then if we talk of sort of the hour-long setup for all the characters? 
his uh, uh, character that's a master in hiding, like some of these are, which is a, a fun little, uh, fun little thing in Kung Fu Hustle. It was done for comedy, obviously. All these masters in hiding, uh, but they, they are characters with. Uh, they're all sort of interconnected. Uh, uh, not most of them, but uh, a fair amount of them are interconnected. They have um, past uh, heartache directed towards uh, family and love and. Uh, as they die, the tool that Teddy reuses too much for my um, taste is when he flashes back to better times, uh, longing for when things were good or longing for things you shouldn't have done and so forth. He uses that tool uh, repeatedly and that applies eventually to Leon Lai's uh, Master Liu. And it applies to Donnie's character to a degree as well, where they... Um, it's the, so, it's the sort of same beats of uh, nearly on the verge of uh, fatality. Look back on, you know, your flashback to your life or something like that. And he uses that too many times, I think. Uh, the problem also with Leon, he looks like he just got thrown some ragged clothes and a dreadlock wig. And boom, you're a beggar now. Next! <laughs> I, I didn't buy it for a minute. Yeah, that, he didn't. They're sleeping in the gutter, or that he's uh, he's been shaped by, by uh, by sleeping in the streets and so forth. No, it just looks like Leon with uh, with uh, facial hair and a dreadlock wig. <laughs> I know what you, I know what you mean though, because it didn't. Yeah, it didn't really. I don't know what's going on there with the uh, with the with the wig and stuff, but he did pop a look like a wig. It didn't really. Yeah, it wasn't the. Um... Yeah, it was a shame, wasn't it? Oh, I'm so poor and so dirty. No, he wasn't really that, that type. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but but those are little like uh, little cracks in this movie's armor. But a lot of the strong stuff in the first hour connects to acting, and um, and I think, uh, for instance, again, Wang Chui Chi is this movie's beating heart as as Li Yutang, and who resists you know, having to do with any type of change in rebel movement, he convinces himself. But as as Tony Leung's character says to him, like the first time you even donated a, a, a coin, you were in it. And you have to realize that. And those are examples of, and there are several ones of, strong actor-to-actor interaction, whether veterans or, again, Wang Chui Chi acting with Edison Wang, who plays his son, who... Uh, wants to change China as well and uh, is uh, going to be in peril because of it and that's a hard choice and uh, aspect for a father to think of and I think that's uh, he gathers up a, a few very well done like current emotional beats uh, this isn't about them uh, flashing back to past history uh, past family history no it's the current uh, divide and uh, the emotional uh, told that putting yourself into risk is going to take on certain characters. And I think that's uh, pretty damn great. It shows that Teddy Chen is uh, comfortable putting on this commercial sheen on the film. But having actors act is still important to him. There's no flash beyond that, you know. Uh, And I appreciate that a lot. That's why the first hour, I don't mind at all, to be honest. I think it's a strong setup. And when it kicks off, we have the pieces in place, you know. Yeah, exactly. Embeds you in, brings you on the journey because you know, you know where it's going to eventually take you, and I, I, I like the journey that it, it sets out um, to deliver that. Um, and like I say, it's just it's a shame they didn't flesh out a little bit more, but you know, with the cast that they have, but yeah, it, it does set the scene quite well. 
I, I guess the first instances of action, um, or rather the mix of uh, attack and uh, getting getting away from people, killing people, is when uh, Simon Yam's uh, opera troupe is uh, is uh, where assassins. Uh, come down on them and uh it's no spoiler really it's in the beginning of the film that simon yam doesn't survive this he's not part of the ultimate um uh, the ultimate coordinate race if you will but his uh, daughter does and i think within this uh, sequence you get, get a little taste of the uh, steven tongwai co-action directed stuff here where it's they don't halt the film in some instances they do but in general they don't halt the film for characters to um have a martial arts fight it's about uh, danger and escalating violence weapons choreography but not stylized weapons choreography they they come armed and they want to kill so that's where the action design sort of um, sort of is tailored uh, tailored after and i appreciate that because one aspect that, that 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 stands out for the film in general is that this film is quite upsetting as a matter of fact in in the violence department and it it doesn't kill off characters neatly and softly. Film uh, it kind of goes for a juggler, doesn't it? It doesn't mess around. It uses all the tools just to elaborately, just from say. I think it's quite clever actually. I've been seeing stuff where they're, they're literally these assassins are coming in to take them out, and they're dropping acid from the ceiling, and it's falling on them. Quite clever. It's quite quite clever. They just they're not messing around. They come to kill them and stuff. And like I say, the uh, the action is geared towards that. That it's straight to the point. It's it's bloody and it sets the tone for the action as you go forward, um, and that's just 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 the opening fight scene. And, and you wonder sometimes maybe uh, because we're not talking scenes that Donny or Donny are involved in, nor are they uh, these scenes do not come armed with a set martial arts style, no. and and it's upsetting violence. I'm wondering if it uh, was kind of a tough watch for some viewers where they find it hard to return to this in the same way that they probably gladly return to Ape Man and Flashpoint and what have you, um, because it, it is a tougher watch. Yeah, maybe. I think maybe it's just more that by the time it gets to the good stuff, it's at the end and stuff, and, and you know, sometimes, or at that time and stuff, it was more uh, wham-bam stuff. It was in your face. It was happening over the course of the film. With this, we have little pockets of it, but obviously the the, the main stays towards the end of the, end of the movie, and, you know, you need to... You need to go with that whole story before you get there and take that emotional journey. And, you know, some people just want the action to be there and in your face and, you know, full throttle kind of thing. And this is a different kind of film. It's not it's not that action piece. It's a it's a drama that delivers, you know, action and brutality. Uh, other acting standouts, I suppose. I think I suppose I think Nietzsche is likable as the rickshaw puller that connects events and characters. He's quite in the middle of these things. Uh, uh, again, uh, the NBA player. I, I don't know anything about the sport, uh, so uh, but but he's so tall. I was thinking like he must uh, have an advantage in uh, the af- <laughs> in athletic fields, and indeed he does. Yeah. Uh, uh, Menki Batir or simply Batir uh, played. Uh, he played for a couple of teams in the NBA, I think, uh, and uh, won a championship at one point. Uh, retired retired a few years after this film, uh, but he plays the gentle giant that gets the, the audience on his side through the action and tragedy connected to his character <laughs> really good usage of uh, this uh, again gentle giant with immense strength that's going to be beneficial for um, for this uh, demanding um, demanding uh, mission surely an amateur actor doesn't really look that uncomfortable i think he he works himself into the part rather well 
he's going to be someone people walk away like even if you don't know he's an athlete i think people are going to walk away with um, a likable impression of him because he's a very sympathetic character uh, but here uh, as he interacts with nick and all of that so um he comes back um from the dead a couple of times as well so he does quite well yeah yeah he's um he's a strong fella um i thought he was going to be way way taller he's um i, I mean i'm using the metric system here but he was according to google he was uh two meters 11 centimeters and i was gonna bet he was gonna be like 2.5 meters or something like that uh, because he looks like a, i mean it's a giant he's big too he's not a skinny lad um so yeah i, I thought he did uh, thought he did rather, rather good and and these scenes as we're leading up to the kickoff uh, as the uh Liu Tang character has decided that he's very much part of this movement he wants change in china and he's finally admitting to himself that he's doing so he comes out for the people you know the scene where he uh, he is driven by or pulled by nick's character and he talks about uh, wanting to propose to his uh, to the love of his life and he says can, can you assist me can i ask for your help in doing so and i think he uh, references that uh, when all of this is done we're gonna do it but leo tang is um, he asks him to go to the girl's father immediately and uh, have it be proper based on ceremony proper etiquette uh, which is very sweet i think for again the leo tang character and in this scene where we see um nick's uh, girlfriend fiance uh, we see that her father is played by john chum in not so crazy hair anymore you know <laughs> he's not curly anymore he's uh he's oldie i suppose uh, but uh, i love seeing him in, in a dramatic cameo really may, 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 it, it might be something that people don't uh, recognize right away wait a minute that's the guy from my lucky stars that was very very annoying in twinkle twinkle <laughs> lucky stars he plays a father wasn't when, when he yeah he does crop up he's always a pleasure to see on screen and you will because you just see his face and i just smirk every time i see him but yeah I don't think Donnie does as a dramatic actor in this one. Granted, you know, you had uh, Ip Man. He had Ip Man in, uh, in his uh, pocket, if you will. He had done that, so he had displayed that he can be comfortable with a good director backing him doing drama. But, uh, you know, without spoiling it, I don't think he does dramatically. Donnie got a load of stick back in the early days with acting. But, you know, when he got um, Ip Man under his belt, people started to take him a little bit more seriously. You know, and he does all right here and stuff. You know, it's not... Um not winning any Oscars for it, for sure and stuff. But, you know, he's better. He can hold that role now and do something like that that's got a little bit more drama to it. It has to hold it a little bit more than, you know, just turn up, so to speak. So, you know, he does well with with what he's got to deliver, you know, some emotional depth to it uh, and carry that because you do feel for the character and he has got, you know, these different sides. So he has to bring something to it. And that helps. And I think it was uh, it was clever by Teddy to bring Donnie in and stuff, especially on the success he had, because it would have drawn the crowd um, to it. So, yeah, I think he does a decent job, to be fair. Yeah, I think that's also fair. Um, he's uh, he's engaged. He's emotionally available as well. He does decently playing a man whose vices uh, lost him his family and now he's of different social class, uh, taking money from whatever side just as long as there's money involved and then he's called upon to protect and uh, and make a choice i don't think this is ever going to be donnie's comfort zone and i don't think it's an area i i don't anticipate him focusing on dramatic acting exclusively there is something there i was surprised that uh, i've only seen Ip Man one uh, but i was surprised that wilson yip tapped into him uh, as well as he did uh, there's a couple of images i remember where his uh, family is in the middle of uh, this uh, war zone 
that is uh, the setting and um, the emotions on his face I felt uh, was quite uh, real and revealing for a performer I'm sometimes not a big fan of to be honest um, he does okay and uh, he, he finds his place and gives the audience what he what they want um, eventually too because when he cuts loose the first time actually against his uh, the, his main contact his main employer I mean it looks like they're gonna do martial arts dance but in really in reality he uh kicks off using rage doesn't he like uh, kick into the ground and just beats his face in or attempts to beat his face yeah it is yeah it's quite it is quite because you do expect all of a sudden he's gonna bag it but he doesn't he just literally pummels him just pummels him and pummels him that's it there's no you know it's fanciness to it just brutality and we said this before this film is brutal in the in the action it delivers and stuff it doesn't stand on ceremony it doesn't give you that fanciful i'm gonna do this beautiful you know, northern style kung fu. No, I'm just going to get in and beat the crap out of you. <laughs> That's it. And it is. It's and, and that is kind of in there, but they mix it with just the priorities just to stop people. In what, but but that doesn't mean like doing a spin kick to his to someone's head, and um, it's in there. But I, I'm glad the action design came off as more just stopping through being brutal, <laughs> being brutalized or. Uh, or dishing out brutality and in, 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 in this case it works rather well for Donnie I think uh, you know it, it continues with dramatic beats like uh, the, the, there is dialogue about uh, and, and it isn't overbearing thankfully it's quite assured there is dialogue about this current generation we can sacrifice ourselves for the sake of the young generation they must live but there is the young generation that is uh, again, speaking of uh, the Edison Wang character who plays the son of Liu Tang, he is willing to put his life on the line. He draws uh, the, the sort of short story, if you will, being the Sun Yat-sen decoy in the streets. That's when you realize that that statement isn't necessarily true, that the youth are going to go unchecked and unbothered. They might have to be sacrificed in the name of change as well, and they believe in this. And all of that is fairly well... Um, Achieved, I think, uh, especially through uh, through young performers as well. Uh, Edison Wang is a young performer, and I say Nick is a young performer. He's eternally youthful, obviously, as I always look at him as a young performer. Um, I'm sure he's like 75 by now or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's very is. He's still going. Uh, yeah, Raging Fire Two coming, kids, look out for it. I don't think uh, there's a, in, especially not a second viewing. I didn't feel it was bothersome waiting for you know the kickoff. Uh, at all because the dialogue uh, and the, the stakes felt um, quite uh, efficient and sufficient and especially when the movie carries through that notion of uh, deaths are going to be brutal and bloody and and the attempt is going to um, be that uh, you, you're going to feel it too it doesn't work in all cases but but i like uh, that vibe that the film uh, creates and the genuine danger as it kicks off but when i say kick off you still get a mixture of some selected martial arts but it's uh, they're, they're action scenarios so you realize when they're running in across these streets it's a gauntlet film it's great exactly they stick to what they they've been doing and it's just they they need to get from one side of hong kong to the other they just need to get through the city and they're going to do that any means possible and there's there's no fanciful to it. It's just like, you know, the gauntlet, as you say, was really good. Just, yeah, all different things are in their way. And, you know, 
and 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 obviously they're, they're they're street level surrounded by these tall buildings and for in every nook and cranny there can be uh, a surprise assassins and i i really like that uh, because they're obviously targets wherever they go people are running across roofs and just or just waiting for uh, for stage two to uh, be executed you know if the persons in stage one can't uh, execute the Sun Yat-sen then it's our turn with the lion dancing and all of that uh, I, I felt that danger was really cool actually and uh, but it's not like one or two sequences it felt like it's the full hour yeah. where it's just a run 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 <laughs> and and that was fun um, and uh, not pleasant at all times uh, either speaking again of the violence um, the criticisms I have though of the action I suppose um, Despite that lion dance sequence um, where it turns out uh, there are assassins in hiding, that's clever, but they come down like coordinated on ropes, all of them, which I felt was a little bit too wuxia for this film. And also the, the, the second scene, I really, you know, in a movie that does, does things very, very well, there are sequences that are not as well done. And maybe this is like, I'll enrage the Donnie Yen fan base, but his fight scene towards the end of the film with uh, the person that he uh, clearly beat the shit out of, but still is still standing. I believe it's him or the Hu Jun character, pardon me. But regardless, in that sequence in the marketplace, there are a bit too many floaty wire shots for my liking. For a movie that's been grounded for most of it. Yeah, but it has. And I know what you meant. And maybe, let's break it down. If Donnie wanted to be in that movie, and maybe he allowed, allowed Donnie to do that and that fanciful on us. And look, I'm a Donnie fan, so I don't mind it. And it doesn't bother me. I know what you're saying for my... To fit with the rest of the film, it doesn't quite, because it's a bit fanciful, is the word of the film, I think. And everything hasn't been. But it's still got that brutality to it. And I think Kung Lee's... He, he does well as his foe and stuff. That's the actor part of it. I didn't even name him. Yes, yeah, yeah, Collins. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he does quite well as the uh, as as the foe and stuff, and, and the brutality is there and stuff. But yeah, there's a little bit to it and stuff. But hey, look, as a Donny fan, I don't mind that. I'll, I'll take that. Every 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 Donny fan will, to be fair. But I understand from the when you're watching the film, it just takes it out of it slightly of the context of what it should be. Because what they mixed with is exactly what you said. They mix with the brutality and the brawl because they're beating each other. They're now it's not the time to do a complex martial arts style either. I snap back into the fight scene and then snap back out of it when when Donnie flies a little bit. For a movie that has decided on fact and fiction but trying to anchor itself in reality, I thought this straight a little bit but never sunk the film into, well, now everything's ruined. <laughs> no, God, no. God no, but I understand where you're coming from. From we'll watch it, and yeah, yeah, I get that. I understand that. It's a good scene for anybody. For anybody that hasn't seen it at this point and stuff, and you're a Donny fan, go and watch it because it's a cracking scene. It's a great, it's a great film anyway. But that, yeah, the Donny scene is still up there with these uh, good stuff. How do how do you remember just offhand? I've not prepared you for this at all. What was uh, Donny like in Dragon or Wusha? Uh, the, the Peter Chan film, Takeshi Kaneshiro. Like, like I, I remember, obviously, Jimmy Wang Yu was in it. I think he was nominated, got an award. So it, it didn't seem like a shallow film. So did any, Donnie cut loose, like in this film? Or what was what was Wuxia like, if you remember? Yeah, I, actually, it's a, it's a really good one thinking about it because he does give that kind of performance that we're seeing here in that in that Wuxia. In fact, and he, and he does break loose a little bit. It, it does get a little bit fanciful, but it, it's still... 
more reserved in what it does and it was it's probably again one of those that people accepted and again it was you know the, the bladesman and, and stuff was in but you know it is one of those films that actually needs to be revisited and looked at again because it it it, it does really well within that it was it was in that you know ballpark of his of his films after you know it meant to etc and stuff but again he kind of plays that character really well and more reserved and i think he plays it better when he doesn't try and overstretch he just brings it in a little bit i call it the steve mcqueen of acting doesn't do much but just enough just to be there and stuff at that kind of thing so yeah definitely something else that um well we minded really should dig out and watch again because it's fantastic and Donnie is still restrained here. I, I just think it's certainly not his fault. I just think that when when they, both for Leon, spoiler, I mean, both for Leon, but both for Donnie as well, when it looks like they're not going to make it, they they tend to cut to a sort of flashback structure, sort of reminder of the women in their lives that, that they're losing now, that they're left behind. And I think be, because it's uh, repeated across two or three characters, I, I thought it rang a little bit hollow. And certainly for a character like Leon, when where during his last stand and all of that, I had no idea who he was connected to. As... No, exactly, and he missed a bit. I think if they'd done a bit more grand, a bit more backstory on it, it, it might have come off better and stuff. But for the, for the Donny bit, I forgive because... I'm not going to do the spoiler and stuff, but his final scene, man versus horse and stuff, is fucking fantastic. It's just, 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 just unbelievable. You need to watch it just for that. Dunny versus horse. Who's going to win that one? Fucking brilliant. I love that. Um, <laughs> not so much for for Leon because Leon comes off, as you said before. His now, hair looks even worse when he's cleaned up. Yeah, exactly. His hair looks even worse. But this is this is this is the the Leon and stuff. It's like you've. Um, ordered uh Choi Min Sik from um old boy from Wish and you got Leon. <laughs> that's what that's uh, that's what it is. I'm oh telling boy. you. I've, I've just clicked. Yeah and he comes out as the fan master and he never really has it, it, it they they try their very best. He he's he's doubled extensively throughout the sequence, which I understand. He's not a young man. He's not a martial artist. But it never really came off as a cool inclusion. And especially when they cut to the characters who hear this from a hiding place, that mm. one of their protectors are getting is getting sliced and diced. I, I I didn't buy that for a second that we should care that much. Some of the lost stand stuff is okay, but I think yeah, it he just seems like uh, one of the, the the overabundance of characters. One or two could probably be, uh, be, as I said, deselected, and one of them, in my eyes, would be um, Leonai. If they designed him a little bit better, maybe. But uh, I, I don't think he finds a, a footing through two or three scenes here, uh, and, and doesn't look that cool as a martial arts hero. He really doesn't. He's a great actor, we know that. But the, the, this is a little bit of an ill fit. It's a commercial choice, of course. You know what, and and maybe it takes it away from the the dramatic because there is a scene there where, you know, they're sitting down and they're trying to they're basically they're trying to buy time. That's what they're trying to do and stuff. Um, uh, and there's the kind of a, a dramatic scene. They're kind of the time's ticking. Are they going to make it and stuff? And would it have been different if Donny had played that role of the beggar? Because because you would have believed from especially from that scene from the martial arts point of view, and therefore would have been more dramatic in that. I don't know. Maybe and then you know had somebody else play that, but but yeah, he doesn't he doesn't quite doesn't quite pull that off to be fair. 
really don't have any other notes other than um, I think uh, actor Hu Jun is a believable force as our um, Qing government villain. Um, he is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, familiar to Hong Kong film fans for mainly Infernal Affairs 2. He plays Anthony Wong's partner in the prequel. Uh, so you, you can uh, wind back to that. He's also, I believe, in Stanley Kwan's gay-themed film, uh, Lan Yu. Uh, but obviously he's, a, he's a, an accomplished actor and uh, I think he's still, still uh, going strong. And uh, it's not a face that's going to go away anytime soon because he's, um, he's, uh, he's an accomplished actor. And uh, Red, Red Cliff apparently as well. Yeah, yeah good shout out. Um, with any, any piece you have, you need to have a good villain. And he certainly plays that well. So I don't have any other notes. I, I didn't even mention who played Sun Yat-sun. I, when I read the name beforehand, because I'm, I'm familiar with the mainland Chinese actor, uh, Zhang Han Yu, he's in Manhunt, uh, Operation Red Sea. But uh, it's like they, they've hidden him under enough costume and facial hair, maybe a little bit of makeup, so I didn't recognize him straight off from... Uh, he's in Operation Mekong as well, uh, yeah. but I didn't recognize him straight off the bat uh, playing uh, Sun Yat-sun. In a very small role, granted, but uh, that's apparently him. So they they are they are tapping the mainland talent for this one as well. But uh, all in all, very pleasing, uh, uh, affecting at points, upsetting at points, and uh, it's a strong men on a mission type of film that uh, that has good layers, but also simplicity and uh, uh, just a good drive to it. Uh, a distinct structure, like one hour of setup, not terribly boring, and then an hour of just running and killing. And uh, it, it works uh, works quite well, as a matter of fact. So, uh, yeah. An hour of running and killing. And on that note, you should go out and see it for the running and the killing. But no, I just, it is a, it is a fantastic um, piece end to end. Um, we might cut into it um, because of Leon and stuff. But actually, if you've not, you should see it. it, it it's fantastic. It has its moments of... Uh, uh, of drama, uh, of of upset, uh, of action. It's got a little bit of everything for everybody. So yeah, you should seek it out for sure. Apparently, Michelle Reyes was uh, Leon Lai's uh, past romantic connection, oh, but okay. uh, but still, I don't remember her in other than in uh, one of the final shots with him. A little bit of a, like a, a spectral flash yeah. of sorts. I don't know. So I feel she didn't get any scene beyond that which is a shame i love michelle reyes but hey there it is uh, so as for availability of bodyguards and assassins it's quite readily available in a variety of editions around the world on dvd it was released on dvd in hong kong in both limited and regular editions as well as on blu-ray uk got a cine asia release uh, it had an american blu-ray from shout factory a uk blu-ray from e1 entertainment so not a not a cine asia uk blu-ray if you can find the elusive limited editions, uh, you'll get a third disc or an extra disc with uh, further extras, including Development Hell. But uh, on, on the current editions in the UK and US, they did not include that in the uh, supplements, which, which is a shame. Might have been a cost issue or maybe not aware of the fact that they they put the most substantial extra connected to a film in the limited editions so they're not offering up the, the documentary left and right to whoever wants it there is a um, in the us on the microsoft store where apparently you can buy movies yeah, but but this is not true for amazon or itunes you could buy uh, bodyguards and assassins bundle with development hell so if in the us uses the microsoft store 
you can get uh, the documentary in a digital fashion together with the film. So there is that. But I thought, like, good, then it's on the Shout Factory Blu-ray. Nope. And I couldn't even find a, a an expensive listing of uh, the Hong Kong limited editions. So we had to have um, some unofficial, unofficial rather, uh, help obtaining that. For, because I, I thought like Development Hell is going to provide a basis for what we're going to see. And, and certainly I was glad that we got access um, to it. Back in the day, Stuart went to a film festival and wrote about Development Hell for the site. We're talking literally you know, 09 or 2010. So it was played it was played in the UK. Maybe during one of the terracotta festivals. I'm not too sure. But back in the day they did bring it to the UK. The documentary. Why didn't you buy the limited editions? You cheap. Cheap. You? <laughs> <laughs> I've got the... I've, I've got the two discs. Not good uh, enough. Not good so enough. It's not good enough. Because I know. You told me off. Because you expected me to have the limited. And I didn't. I've got the two discs though. Um, or, you know... Sailed across the oceans. Why, why can't you be or, more helpful, Phil, when I need you? <laughs> I know. Well, exactly. Typical, isn't it? Typical. Um, but, yeah, so I've, I've still got that one. Um, I haven't upgraded to anything else. And it's uh, fantastic. And it still looks great now. So, yeah. Anyway, we are done. And uh, next up, we're going to have to try and source the final film. I think someone had an official or unofficial rip of it. But the final film of the coverage will be Leon Lai's magnum opus that he directed called Wine Wars. So it's like dual dual bottles or something like that. Smashy, smashy. I don't know. Oh, I think it's just people moaning. Oh, whining again. No, not the WH, but the, uh, it's uh, oh, alcohol, it's, alcohol wars. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. So that he made in uh, like 2019 or something like that. And I thought like, hey, surely we, it's got to be sourceable in some shape or form, even if uh, we get it done officially. Because I always like when we do these series to include movies that uh, our uh, subjects have directed. In the case of Michael Wong, we had one film that he directed, Miles Apart, wasn't any good, but I wanted it part of the coverage, and uh, we're doing the same with uh, with Leon here, with his... Uh, yeah, I believe it's an action piece. I saw a uh, trailer for it, so it looked uh, like it had gunplay in some shape or form. And speaking of Shang Han Yu, who plays Sun Yat-sun here, it's in Operation Red Sea, Operation Mekong, Manhunt, he stars with Leon Lai in wine war or wine wars so uh that's uh next hopefully we're gonna do our very best to source some uh, version of it because it seems like the the closer we get to the current timeline 2023 mm. the smaller the chance of a physical release in china and hong kong mm. especially china it seems like they don't focus on physical media at all it's all digital and streaming which doesn't make it simple for us it doesn't. There's fines. They are. There's fines. We want the physical media. I do. I want all the physical media, and I want all the covers of the physical media, and I want to show them all off all the time. That's a life worth living, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but finale is coming up in, in the future. Since I've uh, um, reduced some of my production rates on podcast, we're not going to do a nine film strong film series. Uh, this is taking way too long. But I'm going to see this through. I've pro- promised that we're going to do nine films and do maybe two or three bonus films. Uh, so for for the website only one of those website exclusive things that that's coming up though this is uh, bodyguards and assassins put to bed and uh, what what a, what a fine couple of viewings it was really uh, didn't mind it at all especially when the second was stronger 
for me. Anyway, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, including the back catalog of Podcast on Fire episodes uh, and Leon Lai episodes, go to podcastonfire.com. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. Social media links to Facebook, to X, formerly Twitter, is all on the site. Uh, Podcast on Fire, so good reviews. We're on Instagram as well, so seek us out, Podcast on Fire. And... Uh, Check us out on Aero 4444, keep an eye out for the standard edition of Fatal Termination and keep an eye out on the various labels out there. We might appear on one or two of them in the future. Say no more nudge nudge. So that's all we can say. I'm, I'm not of the teasing kind. When something isn't official, I shut the fuck up. So why don't you plug uh, plug your stuff uh, what what from easternfilmfans.co.uk should listeners check out right now everything just go to easternfilmfans.co.uk cast your beady eyes upon the loveliness that is there and feast upon and enjoy the eastern goodness that i give thee and then if you want you can comment on twitter on the x thing on facebook and or indeed on Instagram, because I'm on all of those social media outlets and that new one, Threads, that new one, those fungal kids. And um, yeah, come check me out and say hi. And uh, I say hi back. But um, yeah, I've been Phil G from Eastern Film Fans. And it's uh, stay safe and uh, be well, folks. Very good. And you can see him in the flesh if you go to YouTube as well for it's YouTube series. That's not something that's going to happen with moi, because uh, Phil is the uh, face <laughs> of the uh, operation. I am... Uh, hiding here in a close and secure closed and secure cupboard away from everyone <laughs> exactly I'll, I'll do the dirty work you just stay in the cupboard okay that's fine i'm right okay okay we're um we're done thank you very much for listening um and uh see you for the leon lai finale that uh, for a movie that uh maybe have three viewers before and it's gonna have two viewers so it's gonna have five viewers uh, in total i don't know it seems like a very anonymous uh, film but we're going to do wine war we're going to find it and uh, finish off the series that way so it's a buy from all of us it's not a lie but it's a buy and now it's also a buy for uh, for this episode so i'm going to be here with me was phil g who uh, maybe want to say goodbye properly once more yes i will say goodbye properly once more goodbye